Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Who all thought I was going to say Romans there? We've been studying the book of Romans. We're going to take a break from Romans for a couple of weeks, and we're going to come back in January. But today I want to talk about, for just a few moments, God's great plan. God's great plan. We just heard a song that walked through hundreds of years of God's plan carried out through people. Um, He was sovereignly working all throughout the Old Testament to lead up to this cataclysmic event. The birth of Jesus signifies something that had never happened before and that will never happen again. God becomes flesh and dwelt among us. Now, there will come a day in which all believers will dwell with God. But there will never, ever be a day again when God becomes flesh. Jesus did it one time. He never, ever has to do it again. It'll never happen again. But as I think about the birth of Jesus and and thinking about um, where to go today, there's three questions that come to my mind, and I'm going to work through each of these three questions in the next few moments. Each of those are questions that every single person has got to answer at some point in their lives. Here's the first one. Why Jesus? And with that, why is Emmanuel necessary? Why Jesus? Why is Emmanuel necessary? And the answer is, is really, really simple. Jesus had to be born because of my sin and my failure to meet God's standard. And that goes for every human being. My sin, your sin, he was born because of my failure to meet God's holy, righteous standard. Now, one thing you see all throughout the Old Testament, we heard a lot of names of of people from the Old Testament there just a few moments ago. We see that God chooses to use fallible human beings to carry out his plan. Um, But that's key. They were were fallible. They they didn't have the ability to live lives of perfection. But perfection is exactly what is needed for redemption. Um, Some of these people that we think about in the Old Testament leading up to the birth of Christ... Um, you think about people who were willing to follow God no matter what, right? Abraham was one of those. You think about Moses and other great, great giants of the faith. But we also think about people who, man, they really, honestly, they were a wreck with their lives. Um, sometimes they were sinful. Sometimes they were wicked. But in God's sovereignty, he took all of that, everything that was taking place leading up to what I called just a moment ago, this cataclysmic event of the birth of Jesus, God's plan all along was for Jesus to be the Redeemer, the Savior of the world. And what other people couldn't do because of their sin, Jesus was able to do. Several years ago, I I, um, heard a pastor by the name of Tim Keller preach a sermon talking about this reality that Jesus is everything that mankind could never be. And here's what he had to say, and I'm going to put this on the screen so you can follow along with me, okay? Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that now cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whether he went to create a new people for God, people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And I'll continue there with 
when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now God, we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who, at the right hand of the king, forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who, struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but forsook the ultimate and heavenly one who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. Jesus is what no one else in this world could ever, ever be. As we talk about Christmas today, I want to do so with the understanding that Jesus had to come because as a whole, Mankind is fallen. We are fallible human beings that always fall short of God's perfect standard of holiness. But Jesus' coming was a joyous occasion, wasn't it? Because of the life that we have, because of all of this that I just talked about, he really is those things that we could never be. So far this morning, we've sung sung several songs that kind of reflect this, this joy, right? Angels from the realms of glory. One of those verses, angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight or all the earth. Ye who sang creation's story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn king. There's a, there's a um, chorus that's in the middle of that song that's not sung very often, and here's how it goes. Sinners wrung with true repentance, doomed for guilt to endless pains. Justice now revokes the sentence, mercy calls you, break your chains. So come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn King. In a few moments, we're going to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. The refrain, that the chorus says, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So why Jesus? Why is Emmanuel necessary? Well, it's because there's nobody else who could do the job. And even though Jesus was God, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus emptied himself by becoming a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, he became Emmanuel, God with us, because we could not save ourselves. Here's the second question. What does Emmanuel do for me? What does Emmanuel do for me? Why was Jesus born? 
Well, we live in a hurtful, violent world. Did he come so we could have peace? Yeah, he did. We live in an often depressed and despondent world. Did he come so we could have joy? Yeah, he did. Was it so that he could present God to us? Yes. We know that lies are all around us, right? You don't have to turn on the TV very long and see some kind of lie in one form or another. Did Jesus come to show us and teach us truth? Yeah, he did that. Love is often fragmented and broken. Did he come so we could see what true love looks like? Yes, he did. The answer is yes to all of those things and many, many more. Emmanuel does all of that and so much more. Hebrews chapter 10 is is where we're going to be for just a couple of moments. I want for us to see something that is absolutely crucial as we think about this idea of what is it that Emmanuel does for me? What is it that he does that nobody else could do? And I'm going to read starting in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, okay? For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Several years ago, we um, we studied all the way through the book of Hebrews. And it was verse by verse all the way through through the book. It was back in 2018. This is one of the passages we looked at. And the whole idea of the book of Hebrews is this. The writer of Hebrews says, all right, Jews, those of you who are traditionally religious, here is how God required a relationship with him in the past, in the Old Testament. You had to sacrifice the bulls. You had to sacrifice the lambs in order to cover up your sin. Your sin was still there, but it's almost like you take a cloth and and you cover up the nastiness of that sin. But then he gets to Hebrews chapter 10 right here, and what he's saying is that that has passed away. God's way of doing things in that way has has passed away. He is establishing something new, and here it is. He is not covering up your sin through Jesus. What is Jesus doing? Jesus' blood is taking away your sin. I I used the the illustration back then of the the nasty cheese. What is it called? Limburger cheese? You can't go anywhere without that smelling. So if you take it and you put it up on a pedestal, that sin, the cheese is there. You're going to smell it. You're going to know it's there. And what happened in the past is that it could be covered up, but it's still there. 
what Jesus is doing is establishing a new covenant through the blood of Jesus, whereby now our sins are completely taken away. They are gone. And yeah, we still sin sometimes, but in the eyes of God, when he looks at us as Christians, he doesn't see our sin, he sees the righteousness of Jesus that's been added to our account. So what does Emmanuel do for me? I tell you what, God in the flesh, God with us, what he does is take away our sin. There's a story that is told of this is many, many years ago, during the days of, of, the, of Tsar Nicholas of, of Russia, there was a young man whose father was a friend of the Tsar, and, and he was given a great responsibility. That This young man was charged with doling out all the money to the troops in the barracks. The problem was that this young man had a gambling problem, and, and it was a very bad gambling problem. In fact, he used the troops' money, and he was losing it rapidly. The troops are not being paid, and there's an awesome, huge debt that is building up. When he was told that Tsar Nicholas was coming to look at the books, he sat down, and he looked through the books to figure out how much he owed, and then he wrote underneath it, he wrote these words. He said, too much to pay. Who can pay? He then put a gun at his side and said that at midnight he was going to do the only honorable thing and that he was going to take his life. But as he's sitting there, he falls asleep. The czar walks by and he'd heard stories of the young man's dishonesty. He looked at the ledger and he's ready to have him arrested. But then he comes across the words that this young man had written, too much to pay. Who can pay? His heart was touched. And the czar wrote under the ledger, Nicholas can pay. When the young man awoke, he checked the authenticity of the signature and found that it truly was that of Nicholas. He's so overwhelmed that he became the most loyal supporter of Nicholas from that time on because, in truth, only one person could pay, and that was Nicholas, the highest-ranking representative of the government, the only one who could pay. He could pay. You know, that's the bottom line of the Christmas story. Not, not a single one of us can pay. That debt of sin is way too much. Our sin is too great. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can, can pay, and he came to pay. The word became flesh, and he died on a cross. He shed real blood that dripped down onto some real dirt. He felt real pain on a real cross when he died for sinners. Jesus was born to die for you and for me. A song that uh, maybe you learned years ago, I'm pretty sure you've at least heard it. Jesus paid it all. Since nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white. Where? In the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. Let's sing that out, there's that chorus. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. 
sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Every bit of the debt that I owed and could not pay, Jesus paid that price. God's great plan since the beginning of time was for Jesus to pay that price. But the plan doesn't end there. Every single one of us have an option, a choice. Are we going to accept God's free gift of salvation or are we going to ignore it? I hope that you have accepted God's free gift of salvation. And if you haven't, come talk to me after the service or talk to a Christian friend who could show you what it looks like to accept that free gift. For God to take away your sin and for you to have a relationship with him. One of my favorite verses is 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, See what kind of love the Father's given to us, that we should be called children of God. Richard Baxter was a Puritan theologian and pastor back during the 1600s, and here's what he had to say about the love of Jesus, the love that brought Jesus to earth. He says, Is it a small thing in your eyes to be loved by God, to be the son, the spouse, the love, the delight of the King of glory? Christian, believe this and think about it. You will be eternally embraced in the arms of the love which was from everlasting and will extend to everlasting. Of the love which brought the Son of God's love from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to glory. That love which was weary, hungry, tempted, scorned, scourged, buffeted, spat upon, crucified, pierced, which fasted, prayed, taught, healed, wept, sweated, bled, died. That love will eternally embrace you. Do you know today that you are eternally embraced in the love of the baby who was born in Bethlehem, the one that we celebrate today? Here's the third question. Do you know that you are loved by God? Do you know that? Not that you think it. I think I'm loved by God. No, but you can know that you are loved by God. Only someone who loves you like God does would go to the lengths of sending his son Jesus to earth like we celebrate at Christmas time. Do you know that you are loved by God? And if not, look no further than Christmas. Look no further than the birth of Jesus to see and understand God's love. Father, thank you for your story, your great plan the one that included the greatest of all sacrifices, the one that would offer redemption to every single human being who would call on the name of the Lord. Father, if there is anyone here today who has never called on the name of the Lord, never repented of their sin, then would today be the day of salvation. Father, we love you, but we only love you because you first loved us and you showed your love And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, Emmanuel has come. But we look forward to the next time he comes. When everything that is wrong with this world will be made right. So Father, may our prayer be, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Make right what is wrong. Bring perfection to our sin-cursed world. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.